This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Well, okay, are you ready to study God's Word this morning? Yes. Then be turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We are almost home in this book. Got one more message next Sunday, but today we're going to be in 11, half of 11 and half of 12. We're going to pick up in chapter 11, verse 7, and we're going to go through chapter 12, verse 8. Solomon writes, Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. And the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. And one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is Vanity. On this day where we've dedicated six babies to the Lord, committing to raise them in the teachings of Scripture and admonition of the Lord on a day where we are blessing youth because of the anticipation and hope of what these six little lives may accomplish, what God might do in them and through them we come to what may appear to be a dark, depressing passage in Ecclesiastes. And it's a passage primarily focusing on aging and death, but contains instruction for each of us regardless of age. Now, unlike our culture, the, the Bible affirms the aged and the elderly. As a matter of fact, many cultures around the globe have a closer biblical ethic towards aging and the elderly than American society does. For example, if you go to a a country like India or a country like China, gray hair and wrinkled skin is very much a, a prized commodity among that culture and that society because it has the connotation of wisdom. It has the connotation of honor. But when you juxtapose that against what Western society views aging as, and as we view folks who are in their elderly years, 
American culture doesn't always affirm aging, and I think arguably we could say that American culture doesn't really respect those who are aging in ways that other cultures on planet Earth might. You see, societally, we do everything we can to avoid aging, or at least the appearance of aging. Uh, a little a nip here, a tuck there, a little Botox on the forehead, or Viagra or two for the bed later, you know. And most people over 40 will almost never reveal their true age. According to the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, surgeons perform more than 10 million cosmetic procedures each year, almost none of them medically necessary. Billions of dollars are spent to keep us from looking our age. Perhaps no celebrity personifies this better than Dolly Parton who once famously said it cost a fortune to look this cheap. <laughs> you see, many older adults do everything they can to resist aging or at least the appearance of it. And a lot of it stems from the fact that we just simply have a low view of getting old. But then there's the opposite side of the coin. There's youth. If older adults do everything they can to avoid getting old, Youth refuse to believe that they'll ever actually be old. Teenagers and young adults live for the day with little thought of what might come tomorrow. And so in today's text, Solomon has instruction for both groups, all of us. And what we're going to learn today is that God is passionately involved in and deeply concerned about how we approach and conduct ourselves in every single life stage that he gifts us with. Whether it is at a dedication service today for these infants and toddlers, or whether it's conducting the funeral of a dear saint who lived to be 90 years old. So how do you approach every life stage with a Godward perspective? That's the question I would ask you today. And I believe Ecclesiastes 11 and 12 answers the question. And the way he answers the question is he gives us, he gives us uh, three commands. He gives us three commands, but one of them he's going to repeat twice. So in your notes today, as you follow along, you're going to see three commands, but one of them he repeats twice. So here it is. Number one, if you're going to approach every life stage with a Godward perspective, he would teach us to rejoice in the gift of life. Rejoice in the gift of life. Look at verse seven. Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Life is sweet, Solomon says, and it's full of pleasantries. Like holding your newborn baby, allowing his little cheek to caress against yours, uh, like closing on your first home. Uh, I love to feel the, the cool breeze coming off the water as I run along the river in summertime. Or I, I love the sound that a baseball makes when it cracks off the bat at a, at a baseball park. We love to see the beauty of the sunrise or the sunset or, or sitting around a campfire on a cool summer night. Life is full of sweet gifts from the Lord. 
But as we've seen through this study in Ecclesiastes, we've also seen that it's full of adversities too. But regardless, he would tell us to rejoice in the gift of life. If you are alive today, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. And he says to rejoice in it. Psalm 118 verse 24, a very famous psalm from the Old Testament. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'll give you just a glimpse into my daily prayer life. More often than not, this is how I start my prayer times. When I'm praying in the morning, and even if there's that day where I'm hurried through the door, at the minimum, I'm going to utter the words along the lines of, Father, this is the day you have made. Train my heart to rejoice and be glad in it. He says to rejoice in the gift of life. Now what he's going to do is he's going to address the old and the young separately. In verse 8 he says, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So the old should rejoice in life reflectively, he says. The old should rejoice reflectively. So if a person lives many years. Now this morning... I'm going to allow you to determine whether or not you have lived many years. I'm not going to draw that conclusion for you. You can just measure your time against what the scripture says. I'm not getting into that. But you can figure out which category you fall into this morning. But look at what he says. Remember... So rejoice in the days that you have, but remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. And we've seen this word vanity over and over and over and over again in this study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Some 40 times he uses this word, and the word means either futile or fleeting. Um, You can think about the morning um, mist that just vanishes the moment the sun really comes out in full force. It's here this moment, but gone the next. So what he's basically saying when he's giving all these commands and all these observations of life is that everything literally is just meaningless and fleeting if this life on earth is all there is. You remember that. And so he's reminding you of that as you even take stock of your life and where you've come from and where you're going. But ultimately what he's doing here is he's giving you perspective. If you've lived many days, many years on this earth, he's calling you for perspective to reflect upon life. And, and, and he's, he basically says, no matter how many years you've lived, no matter how many days you've been on planet Earth, the days of darkness will outnumber. What's he basically saying? That no matter how long you live on planet Earth, you are going to be dead far more years than you are alive. And so take stock and reflect that this should sober us some. He's again teaching us the reality of life on earth. That life is filled with many pleasantries and many sweet moments, while at the same time, many adversities. Pastor Philip Ryken says this. He, he says that Solomon gives us a realistic view of life that is joyful about its happy pleasures, while at the same time sober about its many sorrows. The book refuses to show us anything less than the whole of life as it actually is. So rejoice in the gift of life. To the old, he says, you should rejoice reflectively. To the young, he says, you should rejoice responsibly. 
You should rejoice responsibly. Look at verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. If you are young in this room today, which that is the overwhelming majority of the, the congregation, whether you're a child, whether you're a teenager, whether you are an, a student, a young adult, if you're young, there are so many things to rejoice in. You have so many plans to make for the future. Your bodies are strong and getting stronger. You have fewer responsibilities than your mom, dad, or grandparents may have. Fewer worries that may accompany your parents' and grandparents' life. And, and who doesn't love to hear a child laugh from his carefree spirit? How many times have we looked at a child and just said, not a care in the world, right? So the young should rejoice. The young should simply rejoice in your youth. Rejoice in this carefree time in your life. But he gives a warning. Because look what he says. He says uh, in uh, the second part of verse 9, he says, Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Now it's almost like you could read this and think that somehow Solomon is saying, Go live it up. Carpe diem. Eat, drink, be merry, because you'll never die. Right? That, that, that could get the, you could think that that's what Solomon is getting at. But then he says, But know that for all these things God will bring you in to judgment. Solomon says, enjoy your youth. Enjoy these days. Pursue pleasure. Pursue desires. Enjoy life. But be careful. Be careful. Because God will judge the decisions you make. And He will judge the pleasures you pursue that are outside of his divine plan and design for life on planet earth. Ultimately, what he's telling you is that God knows and sees your life, even what no one else may know. This truth stands out across the scriptures. If you go to the very end of chapter 12, he says this, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I don't know about you, but that sobers me. The hidden things in my heart. The hidden actions in your life that no one else sees. God's going to bring it into judgment. Job chapter 28 verse 24 says this about God. That he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. And in the New Testament the apostle Paul writes in Romans 2. That on that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. These verses are meant this morning to sober us. Yes, especially if you're young. But both the old and the young. They're meant to sober us, but they're also meant to free us. They're meant to free us to rejoice in life. You see, the warnings of judgment are not simply meant to douse our dreams and desires with holy water, forcing us into a dungeon of boredom and despair. Instead, they paint a picture for us. They paint a picture of the life God desires for us to live. Yes, pursue joy on earth. 
Yes, delight in the pleasantries of life. Fulfill your desires. But do it in the context of the design which I have made. Is what God is saying. So enjoy money the way in which I meant for money to be enjoyed. Enjoy relationships the way I which made relationships to be. Enjoy sex in the context where I meant sex to be experienced. Enjoy marriage as defined by me and not the world. Enjoy your work and your career, but have a work ethic that glorifies me and not just honors men. Walk in integrity. Walk in purity. This is why we need to ultimately hear what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So if you're going to approach every life stage with a Godward perspective, first he tells us to rejoice in the gift of life with reflection and responsibility. A second command he gives us here is he tells us to remove, not just rejoice, but he also says remove. He says, remove the tendencies to waste your life. Remove the tendencies to waste your life. In verse 10, two different times, he's going to say to remove or put away. And both of these things have the tendency to lead you to places in your mind and your heart that if you allow them to simmer, if you allow them to grow and metastasize in your spirit, they will cause you to waste significant portions and moments of your life. Look what he says in verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So let's look at each one of these. First of all, he would say, remove the many sorrows of your heart. He says, remove vexation. Now, vexation can be any problem that causes you to worry, to have concern, anxiety, that angers you, grieves you, or irritates you. One writer says it's the bitterness provoked by a hard and disappointing world. Now, it wouldn't be the best use of our time this morning to call your attention to the many examples of vexations in this world. Just think about your own life and what you have experienced or what you're experiencing today. Just think about what you've read in the news or seen on cable news just this weekend. You don't need me to tell you that life is filled with many vexations and anxieties and irritable things on planet Earth. But another thing to think about with sorrows and why it, it, it's a little difficult to start going into all the different sorrows we experience on earth is because each one of us experiences sorrows differently. What you struggle with is not what I struggle with. And possibly what makes you angry and irritable doesn't make your neighbor angry or irritable. It doesn't bother them at all. But what we can agree on this morning is that sorrow exists an abundant supply on planet earth, and each one of us experiences it. 
And so the question this morning is not whether sorrow exists, not whether you go through sorrow and vexation on this earth. The question is, are you going to allow those vexations? Are you going to allow those sorrows to literally eat away at and gnaw at your very spirit and cause you to waste significant portions and significant aspects of your life? Solomon says, regardless of how it manifests itself in your life, remove it. He says, remove it. And this is going to mean different things for for different people, but it could mean that this morning, the call to you would be, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop thinking that your plight is worse than anybody else's plight on planet earth. Stop miserating in the darkness and despair of your emotions and in your home. Cease giving yourself that permission. I don't want to trivialize this. I know the struggle is real. I get that. But for many of us in this room, it's time for us to hear that I need to stop giving myself that permission. It might mean resisting dwelling on what's wrong and instead counting your blessings. And and it definitely means we need wise people, preachers, ministers, mentors, mothers and fathers in the faith, brothers and sisters in the faith who can paint for us a much bigger perspective about life and a much bigger perspective about our circumstances so that we see our own sorrows in light of the sorrows of others. And in light of the sorrows on planet earth. But it ultimately means. That we go to God with our sorrows. We go to God with our vexation. In prayer telling him all our sorrows. The great old gospel song says I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 says it this way. Do not be anxious. Or could we put in parentheses there vexed. Do not be vexed about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Could it be this morning? Could it be this morning that we walk and live in such misery, sorrow and vexation because we simply don't tell Jesus? I'm not saying that we just let go and let God. That would be heresy. It's not what the scriptures teach. I'm not saying that if we just believe hard enough or have enough faith, it just all goes away. But the scripture says that there is a link between the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the peace of God guarding my mind and guarding my heart and telling Jesus about my vexations and my sorrows. There is a link there. And I find it interesting that we're so quick to seek out a pastor. We're so quick to seek out a counselor. We're so quick to seek out medication. And prayer is an afterthought. I'm not bashing any of those means. They are gifts of God who can help us. But why do we leave God in last place? As if we go to Him at last resort when all else has failed. Let's go to Him first. And let's make a conscious decision today to say, I'm not going to allow myself to have permission to simply drown in my sorrows. I'm going to do what the scriptures say. I'm going to remove 
vexation from my heart. But the second thing he would say in, in removing the, the tendency of wasting our lives is to repent from the many sins of the heart. So not just remove the sorrow, the many sorrows of your heart, but also repent from the many sins of your heart. When he says in verse 10, put away pain from your body. If you look at your footnote there, some Bibles may tell you that that word pain can also be translated as evil. So what Solomon is telling us when he says to put away pain, he's also telling us to repent of sin. You don't need me today to tell you that you are a sinner. And by the way, that's not me coming down on you because I want everyone to know in this room that your pastor is a sinner. If you don't believe me, just spend some time with me today. I, I will prove it to you, like not even willingly, like it'll just happen. We are sinners and, and we, we harbor sin in our hearts. We ignore sin in our hearts. And the scriptures tell us, don't harbor it. Don't make excuses for it. Be honest about it. Repent of it. It goes back to the previous point whenever he's telling the youth to, yes, fulfill desires, but be careful because God will judge. God cares about our holiness. He cares about our purity. And I want to say, this is just a quick side note, and I, I always want to handle hard issues with care. And I may not always do that, but it is my goal, it is my desire. I don't for a moment want to pretend like I understand every painful or hurtful thing that has ever happened to you in your life. I've been a pastor long enough and a minister to college students long enough that I've heard some real troubling things. I know that in this congregation, in this room right now, there is real hurt. There's real abuse. There's real shame that is reflected in the lives, both present and in the past. And I don't want to make light of that even for a moment. I don't even want to give you a hint that that's what I would do. But I do want to address this. We live in a culture today that is so defined by consummate victimization. Where no matter what has happened to us, no matter what is wrong in our lives, there is always someone else to blame for it. But even in the context of where real hurt and pain or abuse has happened, at some point the scriptures say, remove that. Remove it. And, re and guard yourself from constantly blaming someone else and look inside of your own heart and make sure you've repented of the sin that's there. It's so easy to blame someone else. It's so easy to find a scapegoat. But here's, here's the sobering reality, brothers and sisters. On judgment day, you will not be able to point the finger at anyone else. You will be laid bare before the creator of all. So repent from your sin. Repent from your sin. Remove the many sorrows uh, of your heart. Repent from the many sins of your heart. And, 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 and resist the temptation 
of allowing those tendencies to waste significant portions of your life. So here's what Solomon has told us. If we're going to enjoy every life stage and face every life stage with a Godward perspective. So he's told us to rejoice. He's told us to remove. And now he's going to tell us to remember. Remember God in every aspect of your life. Now here is uh, the longest section of this, uh, the, the longest section of scripture in this passage. Verses 1 through 8 of chapter 12. In verse 1, he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Now, as someone who constructs sermons on a very regular basis, it is always great when you go to the text and the scriptural writer has already done the alliteration for you. I mean, he's already done it. He said, rejoice. He said, remove. And now he says, remember. It made my job this week a whole lot easier. So in verse 1, he says, remember also your creator in the days of of your youth. Now here's the deal. If you will link verse 1 of chapter 12 with verse 13 of chapter 12. Now I want you to think about our whole context of this study that we've done in Ecclesiastes. Remember the whole point. Forty some times. Vanity of vanities. Life is vanity. Everything is meaningless. It means nothing. It's fleeting if this world is all there is. That's a review for most of us in the room. That's what Solomon is teaching. And you have to go all the way to chapter 12 where he says, remember also your creator. And then in verse 13, he says, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. You could have walked in today and you've been wondering what is the meaning of your life. People ask that question all the time. There are many different hypotheses on Facebook and Instagram. But if you've wondered that, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Well, Ecclesiastes 12 would tell us the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commands. That's your whole purpose of being here. That's the meaning of your life. Is to worship God and live in the way in which he's commanded us to live. Now here's why. Here's why we are to remember God in every aspect of your life. Whether we are five in the room or whether we are 85 in the room and everything in between. Because first, your responsibility is real. Your responsibility is real. Look at verse 1 again. Remember also your creator. He's not just the creator of the world. He's not just God sitting on his high throne apart from your life. The scriptures say he is your creator. He has created you. And since he has created you, that means that he is creator. You are creation. No matter what the creation is, the creation is always subject to, responsible to his or her creator. So your responsibility is real. That's why you remember God in every aspect of your life. Number two, because your death is real. I know that's very hard for most of us in this room to think about. And it may not be very satisfying to our psyche this morning. But the scriptures want us to know that one day we will cease to live on planet earth. Statistics still tell us that one out of every one die. And that reality is not going to change 
And the scriptures are going to tell us here in this beautiful poem that, that your death is real. And since your death is real, you should remember God in every aspect of your life. Now, in verses 2 through 7, Solomon paints a very beautiful metaphorical picture of the reality of aging and dying. Now, I know that as you make your way through these few verses, and even as I read it at the very beginning, you may have been thinking, what in the world is he saying? I mean, this meaning is really tough to decipher. And so since that's the case, what I'm going to do just very quickly, I'm going to fly through this. But I'm going to allow Philip Riken and some other pastors quickly paint the picture for us. In verse 2, Solomon compares the aging process to a gathering storm, right? So in verse 2, he says, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. So he, he compares the aging process to a gathering storm. When we are young, there is time for the skies to clear again. But when we're old, we suffer one trouble after another with little or no time to recover. Verses 3 through 5 compare an elderly person to a house that is slowly crumbling. For some of our grandparents in the room, do you kind of feel like that sometime? Do you kind of feel like this body, this house is just slowly, slowly but surely just crumbling? Well, verse 3 tells us this. He said, verse 3 says, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, it's a person's arms, the strong men are legs bent with age, the grinders are teeth, if any are left. And he talks about those who look out the windows Eyes dimmed by cataracts or loss of vision. Verse 4 talks about the doors. And these are ears that are deaf or hard of hearing. And then you, you get to verse 4 and he says, When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. This is just a really old scriptural way of saying that grandma and grandpa get up with the chickens, right? This is a restatement of the obvious. Older people just don't sleep as much, generally speaking. And they, there's just something biologically that happens that just causes you to wake up at 3.30, 4, 5 in the morning. I was raised by my grandparents. I can testify. I never understood why my grandfather wanted to go to bed while it was still light outside and got up when it was dark outside. That just seemed inverted to me. And then in verse 4, he talks about the daughters of song. Vocal cords, too weak to make beautiful music again. And verse 5 talks about the almond tree blossoming, pointing to gray hair. And one of the most interesting parts is the grasshopper in verse 5. The grasshopper drags itself along. You look at this insect who can do these masterful high jumps, right? And just sprint with no mind of tomorrow. But now just pulling himself alone. Just a picture of the aging process. There's so much more that's said here, but here's the reality of what Solomon is pointing us to. Human aging and death are real. And if you're 70 in the room, you know that. And you're living it in conscious experience today. But if you're 17, you're convinced it'll never happen to you. And when we're convinced that it'll never happen to us, we can live life on a daily basis separated and segmented from our Creator. And it's why Solomon says, remember your Creator in the days of your youth because 
your responsibility is real, but secondly, because your death is also real. But third, because His care is real. God's care is real. I want you to think about this for a moment. As I said in the opening this morning, culture generally has a low view of aging and arguably even the aging person. But God cares about this process. He cares about this process so much that he's even there in the midst of it. He cares about this process so much that he penned an entire poem in the book of Ecclesiastes in verses 2 through 7 to paint the picture of it. And Psalm 116 verse 15 says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Our Savior's care is real. Even in the midst of the decadence of our bodies. Even in the midst of the decay of our minds. Even in the midst of us lying on our deathbeds. Our Savior's care is real. Fourth, because eternity is real. Remember God in every aspect of your life because eternity is real. And I would even add, it's also very long. Remember, verse 8 in chapter 11 says that the days of darkness will be many. This is simply talking about death. Eternity is real. Look at at verse 7. The dust returns to the earth as it was. And the Spirit returns to God. Now, I want you to see something interesting here. He says, the dust returns to the earth as it was. Now, if this life is all there is, If this existence is all we can ever know, this existence is all there is, then why in the world did Solomon not put a period there? Because at that point, you just believe in annihilationism. There's no heaven. There's no hell below us. You just annihilate it. You just cease to exist. You go back to the ground. To dust you return to the earth as it was, period, Isn't that real hopeful? Not at all. But we got to be careful that we don't put a period where God has put a comma. The dust returns to the earth as it was, comma, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. The reason that we remember God in every aspect of our lives is because eternity is a reality. And for those who place faith and trust in Jesus Christ and repent of their sins, our spirits will return to God who is our Creator, who is the Creator of our youth, And we will one day be restored. But then I want to point your attention to one last reason that I believe verse 8 implies here of why we remember God in every aspect, every season of our life. Because reflection is demanded. Reflection is demanded. At the very end, he says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. If this life is all there is. Ponder eternity. Ponder death. But when we ponder eternity and we ponder death, that should cause us to also ponder life. And when we live our lives in light of death, in light of eternity, Solomon's ultimate point in these passages here is to say that when we do that, it's going to affect the way we rejoice in the gift of life. Because we put the gift of life in context. Reflection is demanded this morning as we read the book of Ecclesiastes.
Bono, who is the front man of the popular band U2, wrote this. Never thought I would preach a sermon which I quoted both Dolly Parton and Bono, but there's a first time for everything, and that's actually a country song. So anyway, here we go. Bono wrote this. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It's a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he was created. He tries knowledge, he tries wealth, he tries experience, he tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why, and it says, remember your creator. In a way, it's such a letdown. Yet it isn't. Bono's point is so well taken. You could get to the very end of all this. You see, the meaning of life is just simply to remember God and to worship Him and to obey His commandments. Yeah. That's it. And here is the reality. When we fear God, when we remember God in every aspect of our lives and we obey His commandments, which is the duty of every man, then we will live like no one else really lives. Because it's the whole point of life. And what this ultimately does for us this morning, brothers and sisters, is it points us to the reality of Jesus. Because the question comes, how can we worship God? Because remember, because of our sin, there is a chasm between the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God. So sinful men and women cannot enjoy the presence of a holy creator So how are we supposed to fear God? How can we keep our commandments when the Bible tells us we can't even do it because of our sin? It points us to Jesus because Jesus is the one who enables us to worship God and to obey His commandments. It points us to Jesus who in John chapter 6 verse 39 says, This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. Here it is. You think about aging, you think about dying. Jesus says that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. See what Solomon is ultimately going to do is point us to the greater Solomon who through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we just celebrated two weeks ago, we all will resurrect again and live again just like Jesus lived again. Amen? And this beautiful picture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You think about our bodies. The young in here, they're, they're so fit and strong. But we know that there are those of us who are already starting to decay. And we're losing our strength. We're losing our sight. We're losing our hearing. I'll stop. <laughs> but listen to what, Sol- what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. For we know. That if the tent that is our earthly home, this body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a new body, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You see, the world today is so perplexed by what the meaning of life is. And the world today looks at the whole aging process and we're trying to do everything we can to stop aging, to stop death from coming. Because you see, for someone who doesn't have faith in Jesus, for someone who does not remember God in every aspect of their life, aging and death is a very depressing endeavor. It's even a hopeless endeavor. It is vanity of vanities, as Solomon says. But for the life of the believer... For the life of the child of God, 
we have a Godward perspective that changes the whole dynamic and the whole viewpoint on aging and dying because we know that what we lose on this earth, we will gain and then some in eternity because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in closing this morning, I just simply ask you that question. Are you rejoicing in the gift of life? Are you rejoicing in the gift of life? Or are you giving in to all the tendencies on earth that would contribute to you wasting your life? Two, are you removing? Are you removing vexation and repenting of sin in your heart? Remove those things today. Reach out to someone to walk alongside of you who can walk alongside of you in the truth of God so that you will relinquish those things that would point you towards wasting your life. And lastly, are you remembering God in every aspect of your life through Jesus Christ? Perhaps today would be the day. I pray that today would be the day. I'm going to pray for you, and then our team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song of response. And as we sing this song, I want to encourage you to ponder in your heart these words and reflect and allow the Lord to work there and lead you in the way everlasting. Father, we thank you today for the truth of your word. We thank you today that whether we are five in this room or whether we are 85, that you deeply care about us. You care about every life stage. For the young in this room, Father, I pray today that they would not be so caught up in their youthfulness that they don't think about the reality that one day life will be over. And I pray that they would live fervently and they would live rejoicingly in light of that reality. And that life would matter more. Decisions would matter more. Because the reality that life is short. Pray for the old in this room today. I pray that they would take solace in the fact that the world may look down upon them. The world may marginalize them. Because they don't have the productivity to give to society like they used to. The world may say that. But Father, I pray today that they would be comforted and find solace in the fact that you deeply care about them and you deeply care about the aging process. Pray for all of us today, Father, that we would be sobered by the reality of our responsibility, the reality of our deaths, the reality of your care, the reality of eternity. And so cause us today, Father, to reflect in a sober-minded way. And now we pray that you would lead us and you would, by the power of your spirit, cause us to obey these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.